0: Talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Hello, one and all. And welcome to our final episode of the Dropped Kickoff for uh, for this year um, and to kind of finish off and bring this year to a close earlier this earlier this uh, during the World Cup we were lucky enough to have the legend Richard Toms on the podcast and uh, for our final episode I'm sitting here with him now and we get the chance to have a chat about rugby and uh, and his life after it Tomsy, welcome to the show Cheers Nick thank you appreciate it yeah it's absolutely great to have you on I've been looking forward to this one for quite a long time mm-hmm. and I'm um, I kind of want to dive in and hear about your, your rugby story because, I mean, you grew up in, you started, you grew up born in New Zealand, yep. grew up in Armadale.
1: Yes, yes.
0: How, how did rugby come into your life?
1: Oh, look, uh, so I grew up, born in New Zealand, we moved to Gunnedah when I was young until I was 10. Mm. And in Gunnedah, we, we used to play footy all the time. It was you know, I'd, I got three older brothers. Yeah, we had um, obviously neighbours around the place, and there was a, every afternoon there would have been a game of footy on, generally in our backyard. Mm. Uh, it might even be two on two, but yeah, if needs. But but we generally had neighbours come in. so we're always we're always playing footy. Um, we moved to Port Macquarie, and, and I was playing rugby league all this time, uh, school and and on the weekends, and. There came a situation where the the rugby league club in Port Macquarie wasn't going to accept our coach as the coach of our team. Mm. And this was under-15s. And he said, all right, if that's the case, he started up a rugby team. Mm. And we entered the under-18s rugby comp on the mid-north coast of New South Wales when we lived in Port Macquarie. And um, we all switched over, our whole team switched over to Rugby, rugby Union, mm. and funny enough the world opened up. Mm. We, uh, that year we ended up touring over to New Zealand, um, most of us were 15, 16, we played in the under 18s, imagine that, under mid north coast team in their first year of rugby, going to New Zealand <laughs> and playing under 18 sites, oh my god, we got a bit of a lesson. <laughs>
0: Did you go to North Island or uh, South We
1: went North Island. Oh no. <laughs> but but we got a lesson we got a lesson not only, you know, in the rugby side of things, but she's on the whole culture mm. side of rugby. Because mm. we were billeted and I recall having, you know, great billets all the way through that tour. Um, and and just, you know, the social side of it and the, the cultural side of it and, mm. and how strong it is in New Zealand. Um, so that was sort of my first awakening to rugby union as such. Mm. Um, then, then I, um, then I moved from Port Macquarie up to Armidale where I went to the Armidale school and having represented New South Wales schools in under-15s the previous two years in rugby league, Mm. made the Australian schoolboys teams in rugby league under-15s merit sides. Mm. Uh, for the previous two years, moved up to Port Mac- up to Armidale, and the only option was to play rugby. Mm. I played rugby at school, so years eleven and twelve was I you know, played rugby at, at the Armidale School and, and totally loved it. And, and I never played another,
0: another rugby league game since then. It's kind of funny you mentioned that talking about the culture specifically. Is there like was there a big difference in terms of the, the culture of union compared to the culture? Of Lee because I mean the, the general feel I get whenever I talk to rugby fans is the people who like rugby union and follow it are people who either played it or know someone who have played it yeah is it very much like a was that cultural part you know from that time in New Zealand what really made you go this is something really worth well it's, it's
1: <sighs> that cultural experience was was very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of, I think, opened up all hours and go, well, what? what you know, we're in New Zealand for starters. Yeah. I mean, first year of rugby and we're off from touring. Mm-hmm. Um, I then went up to Armidale and at the end of my first year in Armidale, we went over to the UK in the end of 1984 and we followed the Wallabies over there. And the Wallabies who obviously did the Grand Slam and yeah. we were over there sort of, you know, doing the schoolboys tour. Um, so it's, it's more just the fact that the the world opened up to us, as far mm. as or up to me, as far as rugby was concerned. You know, in rugby league, I never thought of playing anywhere else but Port Macquarie and whatever representative tides you, mm. you you follow on from there. But but the fact that our clubs just picked up or our school picked up yeah. and went touring, and that's what rugby really offered, and it continued to offer that for the next you know fifteen years.
0: Yeah, and one of the play—I mean, we could jump into talking about your time here in in Sydney, playing um, playing rugby, and also Australian schools because I, I love hearing that the story of Australian schools. I mean, I've got a couple of mates in mind who mine who play for the Australian Indigenous Schools team as well. What is how what was that schoolboy rugby time like for you? Because then you know from that you transitioned into into the Waratahs as well. Look, um, we.
1: The Armadale School is, is, you know, it's a rugby school, and Mm. and that's the sport they play. But it was never considered, you know, a a powerhouse.
0: Mm,
1: It's just, you know, when I was there, they never played in competition. All the matches were invitation only, right? Mm. But every year there was a standing invitation where we'd play. uh, We would play Cranbrook, we'd play Riverview, Joey's, Shaw... Um, probably a couple other Sydney sides we played another three or four Brisbane sides GPS sides up there so we had good competition, good matches each year um, we didn't crave having a competition it just allowed us to, to play free rugby really mm-hmm. and, and when I was at Armidale we, um, we had a very successful two years like our first year, we you know we played well and we competed with everyone. But in the second year, there we went through undefeated. We beat all the top Sydney sides, all the top <laughs> Queensland sides. Um, it was a magnificent year. We beat Joey's for the first time in seventy nine years. Uh, incredible, yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, and it was not we had. Um, Four of us go through and play for the GPS sides, the three GPS sides. Mm. Um, Again, we hadn't had a TAS person selected in GPS sides since, I think, Greg Cornelson in the 60s or 70s. So we had a, you know, again, we had good success and that obviously, you know, helped me fall in love with the game a bit more.
0: Yeah. Transitioning to the Waratahs at that time... What was it like? Because I mean, obviously the Waratahs back then was very different to the professional environment that it is now. Was did, was it something you know with that kind of cultural thing you took to like a duck to water, or you know, with all the great players that were in that team that would go on to further success at World Cup level with the, with that great Wallabies team of the nineties? Was were you just feeling like a sponge, just taking everything in? Well, in actual fact, I, I I finished school in '85.
1: I then went to college in Lismore yeah. in '86, '87. Played country rugby up, you know, just played country rugby. Played Australian Twenty Ones. Then I went to Brisbane. I had two years of playing in Brisbane. I went into the Queensland side, mm. and our, my first year in '88 was very unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had. I think we had one win from eight or one win from nine. Mm. Um, the following year in 89, I didn't get selected, um, probably because I had my head up my arse and bit too much from <coughs> from making it, you know, relatively straight into the Queensland side. Mm. Um, and probably, you know, I didn't do the, the work in the off-season and things like that. So missed out in 89, and then I moved to New South Wales in 1990. Mm-hmm. And joined the Waratahs. Yeah. Um, well, joined Northern Suburbs and was selected in straight in the Waratahs. And again, we had a very unsuccessful year. We had we won none from eight. Mm. Um, then 1991, we had a change of coach. We had Rod McQueen come in mm. and we won 10 from 10. It was an undefeated year. Same players, much the same players, but... Um, Total different
0: uh, outlook and coaching perspective. What did he bring? What did Rod bring that was so that was so good? Um, we we
1: we had the ingredients obviously in 1990 to be a winning side. We just didn't have the uh, the the authority and the coaching and the organisation which Rod brought in. Rod brought in very much a good structure. Mm. Um, which we would we'd have a call, and that we'd be able to play five five phases of the play off that off that call. Yeah, and they worked like clockwork. Mm. I really did all year. Strangely enough, mm. um, and, and so Rod, and so with that came a lot more belief, and we just developed a very much a winning culture. Mm. There was a guy, Rob Edgerton. He played um, university for mm. a, probably yeah. a decade before he even got selected into the Wallabies. Mm. I think he was about 30 when he got selected into the Waratahs in 1991. So he had 10 undefeated matches with the Waratahs and then played with the Wallabies. I think he had 10 undefeated Wall- Wallaby matches. And that was his first and only year of rep rugby. I think he retired that year. <laughs>
0: well, mate, if you're a, finishing on a high in the oh, biggest...
1: <laughs> as a, as a 30-year-old, I mean, he is a very, very good club player and dominated very well for uni at club, yeah. just never got a look into the reps, and then he did and just didn't look back.
0: Yeah. was And transitioning to the Wallabies for you, because, I mean, you, you debuted against Scotland, wasn't 90, it? In
1: 92, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: right. And, you know, with Wallabies had just come off the World Cup win, and you were playing with the likes of, you know, Kernsey, John Eels, Yes, Horan. Campo, yeah. Horan. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about this just, you know, in passing in the past, but I, I really am fascinated by that period of, of rugby because, I mean, you know, I was born in 93 and, you know, grew up in that, that time when we were one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. yeah. What, what was so good about being around players like that? The, their style, their approach to the game. Well, we developed very much
1: a winning culture um, in '91, and um, obviously took that through to the World Cup. That continued on in '92. We, we had a we actually we we won the series, the Bledisloe Cup series, in '92. Um, well, these guys are just I mean they're world class. I mm. mean the guys you mentioned, Kearns, Eels, Campo, Horan. I mean, they were all three and four of the top, you know, players in the yeah. world in their respective positions. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't not hard to work out why we were successful. But, um, you know, again, we had Bob Dwyer, and I think Bob Dwyer is an excellent coach, and he got us, mm-hmm. you know, into a good winning culture.
0: Was well, yeah, So it's that kind of mentality, kind of. Well, something you know that the All Blacks, you know, we talked about, have excelled at. That you know, even if when it's backs to the wall, even if it's a tough situation, you just find that way to win in any way possible. Was that something that they kind of had? Was
1: it? uh, Well, you'd have to suggest we did. Mm. Have to suggest that's exactly what it was. We um, Australian rugby's Wallabies are a very good side. sorry a good side Mm. if we have at least one strong provincial rugby side
0: Mm. and
1: when you got two which we did we had Queensland and New South Wales both very good provincial side you make up an excellent wallaby squad Mm. Uh, we're certainly lacking that at the moment which is hindering our wallaby
0: progress Mm. yeah and it's it's I've always found it interesting comparing sides or how time is and I think um I think it was Benny Benny Darwin. He talked a lot about cohesion because you've got the players playing together. Um you know on a week in week out basis. Yeah yeah. Yep. And that you with when we had the Waratahs Reds and Brumbies it was always something that even though there were three teams all of those players knew each other played together regularly. Um and would know how they play yeah. in terms of their style. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah in terms of like cohesion. Um, after you kind of finished up with the Wallabies and the Warrantais you went to Gloucester and I've got a lot of mates who are you know who are Gloucester followers and they still talk about those years that you were there Shedheads <coughs> that's what they're called Gloucester supporters are called Shedheads
1: does it they had a, there's a there's a shed mm. a terrace that ran the whole length of the length of the field at Gloucester mm. at King's Home and um, and it was full of Gloucester. I mean, they only had cherry and white eyes. That's that's it. That's all. I, and and they were called the Shedheads. And um, they were mate. They were great for getting under the skin of opposition. Mm. I literally saw Lawrence Delalio after they'd beaten us at King's Own. He ran the went the length of the field, giving the bird to the Gloucester supporters. He was that he got under they got under his skin that much. Mm. He just hell he had to give him the bird. He was the Australian captain at the time, <laughs> and he's giving the whole old length of the shed giving the bird. after uh, full time. <laughs> I love Gloucester. Though. It was my. It was a great place to finish. Have three years. Yeah. No, no, I really enjoyed the time there. We went before I went there. It was. It was amateur and I sort of mm. went in the first year of professional rugby over there um, and they were allowed um, not wide enough Gloucester recruited three foreign players now Gloucester was traditionally was a very much a forward orientated club and they didn't produce any backs so they so they um, so they got myself Terry Funaloa who was a Samoan international and and um, from, played in in Auckland, mm. from Auckland, and and Terry and sorry and Philippe Saint Andre,
0: mm.
1: who was a French captain, record number of French, you know French captains, uh, played eighty odd tests. Um, so we were the three recruits. So I was inside, Terry is outside, Philippe on the wing, and um, it sort of helped set up a bit of a core in the back line. Mm. and. Support obviously the Gloucester forwards. Yeah, and uh, mate, we we had a we had a reasonably successful side over there. We just came mid table, mm. but we had a really good time.
0: Do you think it was the time you, you were producing your best rugby? Because I mean, you, it sounds to me like you were just enjoying being there, being in that yeah. moment, playing there.
1: Look, I was uh, I was twenty nine when I went there, so. Mm. And I, I really think you're probably peaking at about 26, yeah. 26 through to that sort of age, 29 even. You can even go a little bit higher because um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I I really just, you know, I, I certainly fell into the culture very easily. Mm. Um, they We played a, a, a good style of, of game which suited me. Mm. Um, I don't know, I, I just thought.
0: If you're happy where you're playing, you ever go well? Yeah. I mean, it's hearing about that time, even though I was over here, even though it's back here, all, all my English mates said, God, that was a, a team that when they were on the field, you could see they were having fun. They were enjoying yeah, the rugby yeah. that was being played. Well,
1: and, it was the first year, as I say, of professional rugby in the UK. So mm. it was the first year where all the players had sort of come together and and... and were employed as rugby players, mm. so the English guys are much the same, you know. They they they're foreign to them, so it's all different. Because mm. um, that was uh, yeah, that was ninety seven. Went over there, so mm. I think it was their first, maybe second year of professional rugby. So mm. um, it's very easy to f- have, have a good time when you know, you're all working together and 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 spend so much
0: time together. Yeah, it's. It's good because it, it feeds back to that whole mentality about the culture that exists around rugby, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So you came back and you finished up at, at Norths and bef- before you went into retirement. This is something that I find really interesting personally because, I mean, I really like hearing about you know, players and player welfare. And I do know that the transition into retirement for rugby players... Can be quite a difficult one, um, hmm. it, you know, it's because it is an entire change of, of lifestyle. It's an entire change of mentality. I know that it's a it can be quite difficult for some players. How was that transition for you when it came to retirement and moving into life post rugby? Um, Look, like, to be honest, I I'm
1: oh, oh, pretty have a pretty balanced approach to life and, mm. you know, I, I've never really, I never really run things out to exhaust them and then come to the end and go, oh, what's next, sort of thing um, and my rugby is much the same I, I came back from the UK and I thought well, you know um, I think I've got to get a job, I guess <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, well, well I'll have another year, I'll play another year season of North Rugby, mm. um, which again was an extremely successful year. Mm. For the Northern Suburbs, we went through, we um, were undefeated for the first 16 rounds. Um, it, was a, it was a good team back then. We we're, were very we a good rounded tide, really good rounded tide. Um, unfortunately, I had a neck injury three or four games out from the semis. Um, we, we sort of limped through to minor premieres mm. but didn't get any further than minor premieres mm. which is a shame <laughs> um, but anyway from that transition I, mean, I, I came back and realised I needed to get a job and I, because I, I came from that amateur era as well yeah. I, you know, I had, I had a sort of a, a background of work before me which is in working in um, orthopaedics yeah, uh, medical devices. Mm. So it was relatively easy for me to come back and, and sort of trawl through and find find a job where you know selling medical devices. Mm. Um, I, I, I liked the fact that I had the amateur era. Yeah, and professionally, I had probably seven years of amateur at the top level, from five or six at the top level as a professional.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I like that, and I think that may help with my transition yeah. into post rugby.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I certainly feel for young blokes, or when they've you know played all their career, maybe even if it's only five years, mm. five or ten years at professional rugby, and then have to get into the workforce. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure that could be that would be challenging.
0: Yeah. Well, it's I know it's something that in terms of player welfare thing is is. It, it's something that it exists within that professional world, not just obviously in rugby union, but in league, AFL, everywhere. And it's, yeah. it is uh, a difficult one. Which, but it's I, it, I do see your point. It's like in terms of when you transition, having that amateur world and going into that professional time. It was it was an interesting period in time looking at, at the history of rugby in general, how that creation of that professional yeah. time what a great period it was for the game in I mean, general. It was a, it was like a,
1: a ticking time bomb ready yeah. to go, you know? Yeah. Like it, 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 it wasn't there. There was no real talk of it. And then the Rugby World Cup in 95 happened and then bang. Yeah. It just sort of boom, bloomed into a big mushroom and bang. It just went off. Mm. Um, and it was an exciting time to be a part of it. Mm. Um, I've, read, I've read a book from uh, that. Tony Dempsey, who set up the Rupa yeah. organisation, Rugby Union Players Association, mm. and all the trials and tribulations he had to go through, <laughs> you know, to to get the rights right for the players and yeah. etc. Um, it was it was a really good period to be a part of that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's an interesting, like, because from stories I'd heard in the past, you know, if not just within rugby, but things like cricket, when before that transitional period, a lot of those players weren't getting paid much yeah. and they were expected to produce a higher level of quality. It was good to kind of see how that, that yeah. changed over years. Yeah,
1: but even in 1991, mm. when we won the World Cup, we are all amateurs then. Yeah. You know, mm. and... Um, I don't know if, don't know if it becoming professional has really improved the play a hell of a lot, but mm. um, it's, it's you've got to really have a good passion for the game to play
0: it well. Yeah, exactly. So, kind of transitioning to, into life after rugby because you continued with, with orthopedics and and, yes. and all of that work. One thing I do actually want to ask about what that North Premiership back in 2016. 41 years, Um, I still remember that day like it was yesterday, one of the... For you, Mm. because I mean, I know you've been a Northman, you've been a a Shoreman for years. Correct. Um, How was that? I'm assuming you were at that game. Oh, yeah. How? It was so good. Yeah, it was, was, wasn't it? (laughs) It was so
1: exciting. So exciting to see the club, you know, get get that premiership. Yeah. Uh, They've been close a couple of times before, like... Yeah, so I played up until 97, 1990 to 97, Mm. and then went over to play with Gloucester, right? In 1998, the year after I left, I got five grades in the Grand Final, Northern (laughs) Suburbs. Oh, I was spewing. (laughs) Oh, I was very happy for him, obviously, but spewing, I wasn't back here as a part of it.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, so then to see, yeah, 2016, they win the Grand Final. Yeah. Mate, that was a fantastic day. It really great day for the club mm. monkey off the back yeah really good play, really good blokes yeah within that north they a great culture
0: yeah
1: um, with Cronny with yep, yeah Simon Cron yeah um, they were just they were just a very good cultured rounded side well led by Will Miller
0: yeah it was a, a great team and I loved being there because I was I remember being there that day and just it being an absolute blur yeah because you, you didn't because you knew the amount of history that was there, the and the, particularly against against uni, who have been dominating, everyone's enemy, <laughs> dominating it for years. Yes, yes, yes. To get one off them, I thought was amazing, yeah. particularly because it was especially uni. No disrespect to anyone listening who are uni fans, all the best, but it was a good one. Uh, oh, no, and, I recall that. I remember
1: the crowd being so lopsided northern suburbs Yeah, but, you know, like there was one pocket of the of the grandstands with blue and yellow that was it yeah there was red and black everywhere else and if there weren't red and black the supporters were barracking red and black because yeah. no one wanted uni to win
0: <coughs> it's it brings back that passion side of it again because yeah. that's one of the things that's great about the shoot shield just the amount of passion there shoot yeah. shield's awesome so it it's is a, it's a great competition yeah and that just that club level is just good. So, again, so kind of leading on to all some of the stuff that started to happen with you after that, and you know, one of the things that you know that unfortunately happened was the injury that you suffered um, playing playing social soccer. Um, I you know I've when you know I often have talked about things with my dad because my dad suffered a similar spinal injury as well, and you know I've talked about it with you yes. a lot. And he talked about the nature of, of something like this happening. And yes, there are kind of those day-to-day, the day-to-day living with this. But also that he views life now differently as a result. Yeah. For you, how did that, this experience change you as a person? Because... He, for me, you're, you know, you always seemed like a positive guy from hearing about you, but now it seems even more reinforced, <laughs> in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how much it has changed me. Um, mm. I, I, I've it's changed what I can do, mm. and you know how how easy it is to do things, and mm. certainly a lot of my independence has gone. Mm. Um, yeah. but. Again, I'm I'm only 15 months into my injury and, you know, I'm liking to think that, you know, that it's only going to improve and yeah. I'll have more independence mm. sooner than later. Um, so I think where it has changed me is I'm more, I'm certainly more patient. Mm. Um, I, I thought I was very patient previously, but you actually have to be patient because <laughs> <now. laughs> if you're not, you just get ignored and, and wiped and therefore you're <laughs> the fact that you're not independent really gets blown out, highlighted. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I don't know, mate. I've I always been quite positive. Mm. Uh, always look sort of the glass half full rather than half empty. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much I, if I've changed too much, but but certainly my my world
0: has changed. Mm. What was the response like? from the community, especially, you know, also like the rugby community when it happened. Because we were... It, it, when Because I had only just started at Gaga you know, and it was... I was hearing all about it because, you know, people, lots of people knew who you were and it was a huge... It was a big thing when it happened.
1: Mate, the community have been fantastic. It's just unbelievable. It's, like, unbelievable how much they've jumped out of the ground, like... Mm. Um, uh, even even to the extent of, whilst Northern Suburbs have been magnificent, guys which I didn't play with, or sorry, I played against it from other clubs, mm. or I did play in reps with them, uh, but not extensively, mm. a lot of those guys have jumped out of the ground and and sort of assisted as best, you know, wherever they possibly can. Mm. Um it's it's real, and and then on the northern beaches, like the northern beaches, have just been magnificent. Held mm. a couple of functions down there, and they've sold out within days. You know, yeah. um, so the community have been magnificent uh, as far as support's concerned, and mm. um, and continue to be.
0: So yeah, and it's it kind of leads on to all the great work you're doing with Guns out for Tomsy, and also with kind of rugby. First, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is why did you found guns out for Tomsey? Why is it important to you? Um,
1: well, when when you think of spinal injuries, most people think of paralysis.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, um, being that you you can't move limbs. Uh, I don't have any of that. My my issue is spasticity, mm. in which I have you know. Basically, continual spasms in my legs, in my trunk, and in my arms, and therefore I'm very unbalanced when I walk. My hands, fine motor skills are, are negligible.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, so, what I've what I've realised is that not a lot of research goes into spasticity. Hmm. And if I want to find a cure, I think I'm going to have to help <laughs> help try to. To get some funds going for it, mm. um, so that's what the guns out for Tom'sy Spinal Foundation is, um, and we're generating some good dollars and mm. and got some good uh, potential things in the in the in the pipeline, mm. which will help in the research
0: of spasticity. Okay, so it's a it's fascinating seeing the nature of injuries like that but also the amount of stuff that is going into it which is good that that we're finding that we have, we have to try and find ways to solve it and resolve those problems yes yes you do mm. and so kind of going forward from now with kind of guns out for Tomsy but also you're doing some stuff with Rugby First with, with Moose yeah what are some of the stuff that you've got going on there um, so
1: Rugby First is a a a network building um, association Mm. and I'm been awarded to be their charity Mm. so uh, so I attended a lot of their functions and um, which I'm really enjoying Uh, there's there's a few during the World Cup Um, there was a couple beforehand and it's just a matter of Putting people in touch with the other with another person, mm. where they can you know network and do their business, etc. If. Mm. if there's or otherwise they get to meet new people and just socialise and yeah, um, rugby first is a it, it's a it's a strong leader in that that section.
0: Yeah, where do you want like your charity like Guns Out Tom's and all that to go? I mean, obviously to help yeah. find a cure yeah. for spastic um, spasticity, but like. I certainly
1: the next few years money will go towards that but I'd like to think we'll get we'll generate enough do- dollars mm. in which we can shell it out to the, those that are in need
0: mm. yeah
1: um, those that might need a bit of a, a hand up mm. um, and that's what I'd have, hope the dollars go towards
0: yeah
1: um, once, we've, once we've cured spasticity yeah
0: absolutely I think kind of Kind of a nice point for us to finish up on in talking about you know the nature of your life and everything around it. You know we've talked a lot about rugby these days. Oh, we've talked about like rugby in the past and how it was a really a community element to it that really kind of drew you. And these days, I mean, you know, you and I have talked about it in the past how it's a very contentious issue side-wise. Um you know, because we, we talk about the nature of how the wallabies are functioning, everything like that. Someone who kind of really loved that community element of uh, of the game. Yep. You know, what would you say to encourage people you know, to enjoy the game for what you know for what it is? Because at the end of the day, it is about community.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Um,
0: I think what what, what the culture
1: is what. What I've found rugby is really generates exceptionally well. Mm. Um, it's an accepting culture. They look after each other. Mm. Um, um, and it has depth to it. Yeah. Like it really goes through generations. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, young, young kids these days are buying into that at club level Mm. Uh, the clubs are strong they're really they're driving their own culture and and getting their getting their young blokes involved in that Mm. and I think that that um, breeds just a good unity and a good good tie-in for um, for young young blokes to belong to a part of the club
0: yeah
1: and something which is bigger than themselves
0: yeah, and I think it kind of leads back to kind of where we started because at the end of the day, it's all the the nature of community is a big part of of what makes rugby work, and it's it, it's a bit of a cliche, but, it's, but no matter where, what your size, your your background, no matter what it is, there's a place in rugby for you. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and
1: and not to mention that it's global. Yeah, you literally you know travel the globe and pull up to a rugby club and and um, yeah. You know, and get involved. Yeah. One way or another, volunteer, voluntary or as a player.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's some of the things, for example, that inspired me. I mean, one of my, my earlier memories playing rugby was when I was at school and, and Eddie Jones rocked up when he was, I think he was the, just become the coach of the Wallabies. And yeah. it was the, the, the sight of seeing him in that old Wallaby tracksuit walking towards us with that cheeky smile was Man. something that, it was always something that inspired me made me realise for example with rugby that you're part of something something bigger something bigger
1: bigger than just yourself yeah and, uh, and mm. you know I th- you see that you, you can I, I can travel the world and go to a rugby event and no doubt I'll find rugby into someone I know or someone that knows someone I know mm. um, and I think that's what rugby certainly has given me it's given me a great great network of, of friends um, mm. and acquaintances which um, you know can you can sort of I don't know immerse yourself in yeah um, when you go when you go travelling or wherever mm. because there's, there's that kindred spirit
0: yeah globally exactly and I could talk about it all day but um, but thank you so much for coming on on the pod. Tomsy, it's been great to chat to you. My pleasure, Nick. I, I appreciate it and appreciate
1: your, uh, your invitation. Mm. And um, I certainly look forward to doing it again some other time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll never get bored talking about rugby. Right? So for all of our listeners, um, if you want to go, head over and check out Guns Out for Tomsy and, and see all the fantastic work. That Tom'sy is doing, you'll um, be up on Facebook as well as also all the work that Rugby First is doing as well. So this will uh, this will wrap up the drop kickoff for for 2019. Um, we hope I hope everyone has a fantastic uh, time off, and we'll see you all again next decade. Next decade, oh, <laughs> so, shit. yeah, I know Tom. We're, we're ticking over. <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, but yeah, see everyone in 2020, guys.
1: What did go wrong? I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply.
0: Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirali Bombo?
1: A genius, a of magic.
0: Sirali Bombo, very interesting, very good. Yeah, very good. Three cheers for Sirali Bombo. Very good, very good.